All right, so we're recording. So we were in the middle of a conversation, and I wanted to make sure we caught this conversation. So I've got James Gilreath here with me, the, the legend, millennial manhood legend. This is like the sixth or seventh time you make up like 10% of all downloads. All right, all right. Um, Drew Hull, back again from last year on 2019. And we had some technical issues, believe it or not. Our boy Drew... Was trying to use his AirPods, his first generation AirPods, and there was some boo boo trash. They the sound was terrible. Sounds not great right now because he has to go through his Microsoft whatever computer you have Lenovo ThinkPad microphone, and it's going to be garbage. But I, I'll, I'll work with it. But the AirPods they were just muffled. They were they sounded distant. And here's the thing: I had to buy AirPod Pros this Christmas. I got them. I got them on the Lolo. I had the hookup. Got them for 120 bucks instead of 250. Brand new. In the box, sealed, mm. designed in California, made in China. Ugh. However, my old AirPods—they stopped working. I could, like the microphone was muffled, and it's a problem on the first-generation AirPods. So here's the question, Drew: Your AirPods are deteriorating. You paid 150 dollars for them. How do you feel mm. about it? Well, that gets pretty quickly into the ethics of companies selling you a product that they're <laughs> then going to intentionally make defective so that they can sell you the latest version 12 months later at Christmas, which speaking of 12 month timeframes, I don't know what it said about my last appearance on the podcast that James got invited back like five more times and it took me a year to get back on here. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Apple, Apple doing some shady stuff. Now, now in fairness, in fairness, a lot of people had this problem with the first generation AirPods. The second generation don't seem to have this problem. The AirPod Pros don't seem to have this problem. Could it have just been an honest screw up? Could it also be you're a fit guy? You run. I run. I'm not as fit as you, but I run. And the original AirPods were not waterproof or sweat resistant. Mm. Yeah. I in no way expect airpods to actually hold up to the amount of gross ear sweat that they've probably been exposed to i don't know that that was in the warranty james what do you think well i don't know if you remember but when we did that one episode earlier this year i can't remember what month that was I think speak was up maybe, by the way i think it was like august said yeah july what anyway i was on my airpods mm -hmm. and i don't run in my airpods and i only had them for like a month maybe and you told me to throw them out because you couldn't hear me. Yep. So it's trash. Mine was just mm -hmm. trash from jump from day one. But the AirPod Pros, they're incredible. You got to say <laughs> the noise canceling, everything about them, they're unbelievable. Would I pay two fifty for them? No. But if you get the hookup because your sister <laughs> wins them through <laughs> through work, and she just says, "Hey, go buy me the regular ones because these don't fit my ears," mm. then you get them for the same price. You know what? I would I would pay regular AirPod prices, especially Black Friday prices, $110 or whatever I paid for the 250 AirPod Pros. Would I pay 250 for the AirPod Pros? Probably not. Anyway, sorry. It was a, I just felt like this conversation was necessary for the podcast. If there's one thing we learned in 2020 is these conversations are necessary. AirPod Pros. AirPod, AirPod Pros. AirPod Pros. Anyway, 2020, 12 months has gone by. What's gone on in your life? What's changed? What's good? What's bad? What's ugly? Give us the breakdown. You want to pop it off, Drew? Yeah. So 2020 for us probably looked 
really different than what 2019 looked even without the pandemic because my wife was in nursing school and so she graduated nursing school this spring did that virtually and then for the first time we've been married for four or, or we've been together for four years we'll almost have been married for three years and for the first time ever in our entire relationship she's not at college anymore wow. so we are experiencing dual income for the first time ever we're experiencing the balancing of like two work schedules and what that's like. And she works as a nurse doing night shifts. So this was a massive shift just for our marriage and for our relationship to figure out like, how do you handle being ships in the night and like completely mm -hmm. missing each other from schedules? Um, we also became dog parents this year. So right at the start of quarantine, we got a little golden retriever puppy named Henry. And he was Best like, kind of parents. 12 pounds and now he's like 85 pounds and is a hoss and so i have in 2020 cleaned up a lot more pee and poop than i ever would have expected to um just in between podcasts but learning there's for sure some life lessons just through being a dog parent and then became an uncle for the first time a couple of months ago and that was a big perspective shifter as well um so a lot of maybe like side elements work stayed the same for me this year um, and that was a constant despite pivoting through some stuff and still read a bunch and still ran a bunch but the maybe the peripheral things in life like really fluctuated and changed a lot mm. okay hey it's the first it's the first time you've really picked up poo and pee but i mean your wife being a nurse she's she's doubled that up that's right. She is not sympathetic to me um, when I complain about having to do that in the backyard. Yeah. James, what's what's going on with you? Uh, in a lot of ways, my life didn't change too much this year, but in a lot of ways it did. So first, um, your, your listeners know that I run track and field, training to qualify for the Olympic trials. Oh, wow. And the Olympic trials didn't even happen this year. So yeah. you know the games. So that was a huge shaker up because I think last time, last year we were talking about this and 2020 was going to be my last year going all in, uh, made the sacrifice of leaving my job in the end of 2019 so that I can focus up on the training for this one last go. Then the pandemic happened, Olympic trials, Olympic games are canceled and well, postponed until 2021. So my wife and I, we talked about it. We said it made sense to just continue to extend it for another year. Um, and see how that goes. So now they rescheduled everything exactly a year for, forward into 2021. So training and everything has been the same. It's just there have been less races uh, this year because of the pandemic and the uncertainty behind that. So we had a couple of races this year, but not really representative of a true year. And um, I continued my coaching throughout the year, continued my tax business throughout the year. Um, so that stuff pretty much stayed the same. My wife's job, she worked from home the majority of the year. So we spent a whole lot more time together and figuring out how to make that balance was a, to was a lot different because we still, we've been married for a little bit over a year now, year and a quarter. And we hadn't really found our groove yet in our schedule. So once we started finding the groove, then the pandemic happens and she's working at home. So now we're seeing each other a lot more, um, we get a feel for each other's schedule. 
I'm in and out out of the house all day long and trying to find a routine, just who's cooking, what's our schedule, what we're going to do. Um, so that's been good. Been really trying to find a groove with that. Then I, I became an uncle as well. My sister had had our niece a couple of months ago. Um, so a lot of good things, but a lot of crazy things happened as well this year. So basically what you're saying is my next question should be, all right, James and Courtney, how do you not kill your spouse? <laughs> one upstairs, one downstairs. One upstairs and one downstairs. Yeah. That's funny. That's wild. Interesting. Um, I guess I'll give my update, even though people have heard me throughout the year on multiple occasions. Uh, just like Drew, got a dog. He's the bestest boy. Uh, Harlem. We never got the cute puppy puppy face. He was a big boy. He was like 60 pounds when we got him, and now he's like, I don't know, 75, 80. Uh, he's, he's our best little friend. Picked up a lot of poop. Cleaned up a lot of pee as well. Not as much, probably, because we didn't have to potty train him completely, but he was still a puppy when we got him. Uh, I've definitely learned a lot about life from him, that's for sure. Learned about how to be compassionate. Not that I was ever disliked animals or was cruel to animals, but I have a different level of compassion for um, just creatures and animals in general. So James know the, knows this. Harlem, our dog, almost died in July. It was actually really bad. He had to go to the doggy emergency room for 48 hours and that cost me $2,500, which is a whole nother story. But, uh, yeah, Drew's face right now. It's like, Whoa, buddy. Uh, yeah, that was, that was expensive. And fun fact, they want that money up front. So they diagnose your dog and then they're like, okay, he's going to die, but we need two stacks now. And you're like, okay, here's my credit card. <laughs> like take it. Um, but one of the things that I took away from that experience, obviously the dog's fine. Harlem's fine. But, even though he's a dog, like I think about that a lot. I didn't even think about, granted, I'm blessed enough to have the money, but he likes living as well, if that makes sense. Like he enjoys life. And the thought of not allowing him to continue that life when I had the capacity to do that just seems so disturbing to me. So there, he's, he's definitely taught me how to be more patient and, and loving towards essentially God's creation in general, everything from, from the trees to the birds to the little, I saw a little bunny the other night and it, I don't know, just seeing him have a personality and intelligence and thinking like he understands things. Like when I tell his ass to go to bed, he knows he has to go to bed. Uh, he knows when he screwed up, he know you know, all these different things, like they're intelligent creatures. So that's been a big takeaway from the year I switched careers, I left financial advising, which folks who are regular podcast listeners know that. Um, I'm in the, in the group benefits consulting space now, which is, in my opinion, a much better fit for what I want to do with my life. Um, I am looking to grow the podcast exponentially now that a lot of the limitations that were on me are lifted because of regulations and licensing, et cetera, from when I was a financial advisor. All that's pretty much gone. So I can do whatever I want at this point, and uh, I'm having a lot of fun with that. So in a weird way, you know, it's been two years and eight months since I started the podcast, and it's almost like there's a new re-energizing uh, aspect to it because I have this whole new world available to me that wasn't available to me before. Um, what else has happened in 2020? I've lost like 40 pounds out here crushing it. Mm. Getting my run on. I ran. A, I ran. A, uh, I was supposed to run my first half marathon on uh on june 6th my birthday but that obviously got canceled 
So instead, I ran it virtually, but I didn't want to run my first marathon virtually. I wanted to run. And the first time I do a half marathon, I wanted to make sure I did it like there, day of, crowds, energy. I want the medal and everything. Um, but the race was a half marathon or a 10K, which is what, eight miles, I think, right? 6.2. 6.2, whatever. So I... Um, they sent me the medal and the bib and all that crap. And I was like, well, I'm not running a half marathon, but I don't want to run a 10 K because that seems too easy. So I went and ran 10 miles day of, um, which was awesome. So yeah, I've just continued doing my thing, continued living life. I mean, I don't know, like 2020 has been weird. Yes. Like we were all just locked down. This damn coronavirus won't go away. Now there's COVID 20 coming out of England. It's like the only good thing that's ever come out of England is fish and chips and, like they're just ruining everything even more in the great British bake-off. That's pretty good. I've crushed a couple seasons of that during lockdown. So I don't know what's going on. Like as we're describing what happened in the last year and all the aspirations and goals that we had, I think one of the hard things about 2020 is like, this is going to sound kind of bad, but 2020 has actually been kind of a good year for me. Like minus Corona and minus my great uncle passing away from Corona. When I look at, which is obviously tragic and all the other people that have passed from. But when I look at 2020 as a year as a whole, it's like, it's actually been a pretty good year. And I feel kind of bad saying that. Like, I don't, I don't know if, if you guys, I don't know. What do you, th what do you think about that in general? I think there's definitely a space where it stripped away a lot of the extraneous things in your life. And people had a chance to think about what else do I do with my time? or who are the relationships that are super important to me that if I can't see this person, it really changes the scope of my week or my month or the holidays and how those are different without being around people. Um, so maybe creating an unintentional blank slate then gives a lot of people time to figure out what do you want to do and what's really important in your life. And you have a chance to either learn new habits or go deeper with relationships or be intentional. Like it really disrupted the day-to-day -day treadmill of life for a lot of people. And so you have a chance to figure out like, well, when life does get started back up again or in the interim, while we're just all hanging out in our houses, like how am I going to spend my time? Or what are the things that actually really, really matter to me? And how do you then go about finding ways to still make those things important and practical in your life? when there's so many other changes. So that was something for me, at least like in a year where it felt like a lot of things were stopped. Like you can't go play sports anymore. Like a lot of these sports leagues were canceled or um, seasons were shut down and things like that. That was something that I don't know that I consciously was aware of the emphasis that I placed on that, but having a lull for a few months this year where there were no sports going on, it was weird. It was really weird. And how much of a relief that that was to see those come back or to be able to start to experience the NBA bubble just a little bit and like have that back be a part of everyday life. But even then just more maybe intentional things. My wife and I started going on walks with our dog and Henry was a part of that, but like really just saying there's not a lot else to do and we're cooped up inside. So let's go for a walk outside. And that became like, one of the joys and highlights of this entire year is like we yeah, go on yeah. a daily walk now and it's awesome. And we're just able to talk and leave your phone at the house and unplug completely. And that was not something that we may have slowed down enough to really incorporate in, in a busy world. So 
I think there have been some hidden blessings in that, um, maybe in unexpected ways, similar to you saying, hey, I've left some of the regulations and overhead that I wouldn't have necessarily expected to be holding me back to this degree. And now you have newfound freedom or the ability to pursue other things. And it really opens up a lot of exciting possibilities. Most definitely. Um, I can hop on that. Um, This year was definitely rough for, for my family in a lot of big ways. My wife lost her grandfather. I lost my uncle. Both not to Corona, but I did lose family members to Corona. Not uh, super close family members, but still family members nonetheless. But outside of that, I can definitely second what both of you guys said. I felt like this, the pandemic allowed people to slow down and actually call themselves on those things. They always said, oh, I don't have time for that. I'm not able to do that. It forced everyone to slow down and like, okay, now I'm faced with this time. Am I actually going to start that business? Am I actually going to start this new habit that I've been talking about? Am I going to start working out? I said I didn't have time for that, but my health is important to me. Am I going to buckle up to the, to the, uh, you know, to the, when the, make the metal meet the road, you know? Um, so I saw that my wife, she, she picked up a lot of great habits. We changed our diets dramatically. Um, she picked up a new habit of working out very regularly. And even in my own life, I'm not employed in the traditional sense, but um, I got a break from doing some of our structured coaching that our program has. And with that extra time, my wife and I got to bond a whole lot more. We got to have conversations um, just that went really deep about things, really reflect a lot more. I got to do a lot more writing and reading. So it was just a great time from that standpoint, even though the world was in chaos in a lot of other ways. Yeah, it's weird because the world is in chaos because we constantly hear about how it's in chaos. But I mean, Tamara and I did something very similar to what Drew was describing where we started taking a walk every day with our dog. Mm -hmm. Like you step outside and it's calm. There's no chaos. You're constantly told about how there's chaos. And I I mean, I believe that people are dying. Like it's not like, it's not like I think it's a hoax or anything like that, but it's almost this twilight zone because you step outside and you're like everything's fine um so i think we're gonna have to figure out how to grapple with that just the society because i don't i don't know how we move forward from here we talked a lot about new normal earlier in the year i don't i don't know what normal or new or any of that is going to be because uh, i think i think it's changed forever that's interesting that you talk about um, maybe the chaos of something in a contained environment or within your news feed or within the media. And then you, you get into a different setting and it's almost as if a lot of that has quieted down a lot. Thinking about this year with the election, like if you were on any social media or news outlet or anything, it sounded like literally the world was ending and it yeah. was there's good and evil. And if you vote for the other guy, you're the worst person in the world and you're an absolute moron. And people, uh, I think we really struggled to find the ability to have discourse with each other in a civil fashion or to disagree and that be okay. Like learning how to talk like that. And I saw so much commentary with such a level of heat and vitriol that I'm like, 
I really struggle to think that people would talk to each other that way if they were in person. They would. It's very easy anonymously on the internet to just curate your Instagram feed to only hear one echo chamber type thing. And then you, you step outside of that and you're like, whoa, like maybe everything's not as bad as it possibly seems. Um, so that was an interesting um, maybe development this year that everyone was inside and everyone everyone was on social media for the duration of an entire election. And maybe people that would have had their head in the sand a little bit more and been about their business had time to buy into all those narratives and be influenced and have conversations around big topics that maybe otherwise would have been overlooked. And it felt like there was so much attention and pressure on that. Um, and maybe as a weird like segue and side note to that, the, I downloaded an app. We got some security cameras at our house, the Ring app. And um, it alerts you when other people can like share footage of videos of things that they've seen. And there are these uh, just hooligans running around our neighborhood, pulling on everybody's car doors to see if they're unlocked, seemingly like every single night at three or four a.m. And I had no idea that that was going on at all. Um, and if you just only ever believed what your own bias saw or like what I experienced personally, I would have had no idea those things were happening. But if you take that to the other extreme and assume that what you're seeing through an app or in the lens is like everywhere, that's crippling. And it's like total paranoia inducing of, man, I got to lock my car 15 times before I go inside because somebody's going to bust in. And it just makes me wonder, and I'm curious of your guys' opinion on this, like societally for a really long time before the age of the internet, people didn't know about all the crazy brokenness and struggles going on in the world. Like you just kind of knew about what was going on in your community. And now it may seem like bad news is pervasive or that there are horrible things going on in the world, but it's really because not that there may be more or less than there ever has been before in history, but because like we're simply that much more aware of it. And what are the unintended consequences of that when you're just so much more aware of all of the problems or struggles going on in the world. Ooh, man, you're about to send me down a deep, deep <laughs> philosophical rant. Um, the world is safer and better than it's ever been. You have indoor plumbing. Seriously, you don't have to worry about dying because somebody took their pot of shit and flew, flung it out the window above you and it falling on your clothesline. And then a bunch of germs ending up on and you putting on those clothes later, even after you wash them and then dying from some infection. Just throwing it out there. Um, the idea that we live in some dystopian craziness is insane. Uh, it is the fact that we get to see it over and over again. So I want, uh, here's a little thought experiment. Okay. Imagine if people had had Twitter and Instagram I don't know, during the Great Depression or during World War II. Or, I mean, imagine how gruesome and horrific the videos are from the civil rights movement when dogs are attacking humans and fire, like, you know, fire hydrants are being pointed at other human beings. Imagine if they also had Instagram mm -hmm. and Facebook Live. Imagine the Vietnam War protests with Twitter and TikTok. We, I mean, we can keep going. 
Imagine South African apartheid. Imagine uh, imagine the concentration camps. Imagine Nazi soldiers taking selfies in front of Auschwitz. I'm serious. It it's funny, but yeah. Okay, we amplify everything to another level when, in reality, literally every single one of our lives are better than they would have been 50 years ago. Period. Now, that may be at different levels. James, you as a black man 50 years ago would have a very different experience than Drew as a white guy in the South, right? For sure, yeah. But we can both agree that, relatively speaking, your lives are better than they would have been 50 years ago. Whatever advantages or disadvantages may come with whatever you know, other aspects of our life are involved. Yet we act like everything's getting worse. I don't know about you guys, but I'm taking notes on a freaking iPad. Imagine explaining this to somebody 100 years ago. Hey, there's this thing. It kind of just turns on. You write on it. You can make it disappear. You, they would think it's magic. <laughs> so, like, they would have been really happy with their first generation AirPods. Back yes, in, they would have. They would have been very that happy. With it just... would have been top notch. Yeah. Top yeah. notch. Yeah. So, I, I do think that we have fallen into this trap of the echo chamber. The only social media I actually like is LinkedIn. And here's why everybody's on their best behavior because it's real people, real pictures, real profiles tied to real jobs. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's really easy to be a Reddit douchebag when you're just some handle or a Twitter or whatever. Um, even Facebook is different because it's not a professional environment. LinkedIn. I see where you work and what you do. So, so the, the entire discourse is complete. There's actual discourse on LinkedIn because of that. And I'm sure LinkedIn will get ruined somehow because somebody will buy them and it'll go down the drain. But at this current moment in time, it's almost incredible to you. So, um, yeah, I definitely, I definitely think like murders were happening in the 1940s and everybody was letting their kids run wild. Why? Because if you lived in Idaho, when a murder happened in Grand Rapids, Michigan, you didn't hear about it. Now you know about it instantly. So anyway, James, you look like you got something. You definitely, man. Uh, going back to the election, it just always drove me nuts when you would hear these these banners across CNN or whatever news outlet you watch saying this is the biggest election in, in the history of America. I'm like, a lot. I mean, I know there's a pandemic going on, but there have been a lot bigger issues going on in America's history. But like you said, Yava said the the media outlets were totally different at the time. Uh, and the things going on were not able to be seen and felt everywhere. I mean, it's pervasive. You, we, we know what everything is. Everything is going on. We have a taste of that. So I had to consciously make an effort not to watch the news. Because um, like I go to my mom's house. They always have CNN on and stuff like that. That'd be the only times that I'd really be informed about what was going on, at least through that network's uh, viewpoint. So it was really annoying to see just the outrage that people were coming out with and people that you know are good people, but they'll come on and say blasting just crazy stuff that's like, you really believe this? Like, what's really gotten into you? On, on your Facebook, you would see that stuff and then people were falling out over political beliefs, 
political ideologies that they probably don't even hold themselves, but they've associated themselves with the with the school of thought, and they feel like, well, I got to ride with this gang because I always have, and this gang mm-hmm. believes this, so I have to believe this. Um, and making things political that are not political at all is just that was a crazy thing to go through this year. So that's why I had to really watch what I was feeding my mind. And so I, I would scroll Instagram every now and then, but even Instagram is infiltrated with all these things as well. Keyword there is, do you really believe this? Right. I just want to ask people that all the time. Like, do you actually, have you actually marinated on that statement? I heard somebody say that the problem with Twitter is it's just people, it's just thoughts all day. It's just all the thoughts people have throughout a day that most people don't articulate in, in a, in a conversation, just as soon as you have a thought, just shooting it off. It's like, well, just cause it's a thought doesn't mean that you will actually agree with that thought long-term, but then because people posted it mm-hmm. and now it's out on the internet, now they double down. Right. I posted that I hated coffee when I was in college and anybody who drank coffee was a fool. And now I'm like, I do not recognize that version of myself that posted that because I'm like a five cup a day guy and it's trivial, but like the, I mean, the premise is right for sure. And I wonder what the, the duty or the objective as somebody in our generation who's growing up with this, um, like what is our responsibility to understand and develop some of those skills to parse through all of that noise and like actually have meaningful conversations with people who are different than us. That's been a huge theme, just diversity and inclusion and the benefits and values of talking and building relationships with people who think differently and look differently and are different than you and how that can be a real strength. Um, And so it's funny to see like parts of the country uh, really understand that or will like the entire country will understand, oh, it's better to have diversity of thought or diversity of um, leadership in big companies or in our government. But we're not actually going to have any diversity of thought in the actual ideology that we um, like discuss and propitiate. So like in your social circles, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I'm okay with somebody who looks different than me or has a different background with me, as long as they believe everything that I believe, right? So like, let's check that. Yeah, part. so that's not diversity. <laughs> yeah, it's not diversity at all, and that's where it's really interesting um, to see the how easy it is in our internet world to like everything's curated. You can choose who to follow and who to listen to. And it's very easy to just write somebody off and unfollow them if you don't like something that they say, rather than actually stopping and considering it. Um, There are a couple of friends in my life who I have maintained friendships with intentionally because I do not understand them or their points of view, or they like constantly challenge me. And I'm like, I don't think I agree with you on 99% of things that you say. So like we should probably be friends and talk about it and figure it out because it really challenges my thoughts, my understanding. And so those are some of the friendships that like have been really meaningful to me over the past few years um, are people who are very different in the way that they think. Um, And I think that there's so much value from that. I read a book this year called You're Not Listening, What You're Missing and Why It Matters. Uh, It's by an author Kate Murphy. And it was probably, I read a lot of books this year that that 
stands out as the singular favorite because it speaks to how to improve your listening skills in relationships individually, but also societally, how we can really miss the point of slowing down to give people room to speak and ask really good follow-up questions and let people have the ability to dialogue. And when you can be a really good listener, all of the things that, you know, you will stop yourself from missing out on and that that can be really impactful. So just stream of consciousness rambling here, but that was a theme as we're just talking about 2020 of trying to say, okay, if I'm like, what am I not listening to? What am I missing out on? Um, who am I not listening to or who am I quick to maybe write off? And then how do you intentionally go like seek out books or podcasts or uh, conversations with people who are different than you and try and understand where they're coming from? And and that's been very helpful. And it's certainly something I need to keep getting better on. Um, but that's been a maybe a key of 2020 for me personally. So interesting. It's so interesting because. Let's take the CNN example for just as the example, since that's who you mentioned. CNN's in the business of making money. They're not a non-for-profit. Okay. What makes them more money? Sensationalizing to a specific audience that they know they can keep captive or actually providing information? Same thing with Fox News, just the other side of the spectrum. Same thing with MSNBC. These, these people are not impartial, you know, do-gooders in the community. They have an agenda because they have to make money. That's how it works. Why is that so controversial? Like, why, why, why do journalists get so pissed off at that? Oh, no. How dare? It's like, no, dude. Like, you're getting paid by somebody. And somebody is making money off of ads. And there's an entire strategy around it. Just admit the fact that you're biased. Just do it. Like Don Lemon and Sean Hannity are not impartial human beings. <laughs> they, they have a story they're selling you because they're trying to make ad revenue for their shows. And the more ad re- the more watchers, the more viewers they can get up, the more they command for ad revenue from sponsors, the more they have leverage when they renegotiate their contract with their respective TV channels the nicer vacations and nicer homes they can buy individually. Why, why is that so controversial? I don't know. That's been really grinding my gears recently. Yeah. <clears throat> One thing that's come out of this is that I've realized how few people are independent thinkers because I can predict every single line of thought that they're going to spew out as soon as they start talking. Mm. And I, I really resent that. I like, even if I disagree with you, if you have independent thought, I can't predict exactly the words that are going to come out of your mouth about a topic. I love that because that tells me you pay attention to nuance and you understand that things are not cookie cutter. Like every single event is not a cookie cutter event. Mm-hmm. Um, and talking about building relationships with people different than you, I watched this podcast um, with Joe Rogan and I can't remember the gentleman's name on there, but he was a black guy. He was, uh, I think, a, a jazz musician. And he would go to Klan rallies. Yep. I love that podcast. Man, it was it was just crazy because a black guy going to a Klan rally, the very people that the Klan hates the, very, the most, mm-hmm. um, I mean, arguably, they, they hate a lot of other groups as well, but black people 
I was about to say, black folks are probably top of that pyramid, man. Yeah, they, they've been hated <laughs> by the Klan forever. But this guy, because he had this burning question and trying to understand how can you hate me and you don't know me? Yeah. So he would go to these Klan rallies and became friends with top guys in the Klan. Yeah, like Grand and, Wizard. Yes. And that's how he was able to make change. So if you really disagree with someone, instead of shouting at the top of your lungs, why don't you try to get to know them and not let everything they say be a trigger to you? Because just because someone says something I disagree with, that doesn't mean that they're forcing me to agree with it. That doesn't mean that they're forcing their values on me. I don't have to believe what they believe. And I can be friends with you, even if you believe something totally different. And I understand the, the trope about, oh, well, especially this year with social justice and things of that nature, people are saying, well, I can't be friendly with you if you disagree about my existence, period. Well, that person is not the authority on whether I live or die in most cases. So if I can, I can still talk to them and engage them, and if they're super ignorant, maybe by listening to them, I mean, maybe by them listening to me and me showing them respect and listening to them, even if I abhor everything they say, maybe that can cause some change down the line instead of just spewing hate backwards and further deepening their roots and and their stupid ideology just listen to people and um just engage with them and talk to them share ideas don't be so triggered don't be so triggered that that podcast that gentleman is responsible for something like five or six hundred clan members leaving their leaving the clan and they would always give their hood to him yeah. as a gift. He could have like a museum with all the clansmen who've left. I'm pretty sure he did donate a lot of it or started a museum or, or whatever it may be, but he would, he would just challenge their thinking. He would make friends with them and then he would challenge their thinking. And, and he gave the one example where this, he was hanging out with this clan member and the clan member was like, well, you know, they say black people are, um, are, they commit all the violent crimes in America. They're, they're genetically predisposed to committing violent crimes. And his response to him was, okay, you know, they say that uh, white men are predisposed to being serial killers. And the guy was like, what are you talking about? He was like, well, they're, they're, they're all, they're always the serial killers. He was like, that's not true. So he listed off like 12 serial killers that were black. And then he said, name one black serial killer. And the guy couldn't do it. And he said, they, and his response was, they say, white guys are genetically predisposed to being serial killers. And that was, that was the freaking thing that got this guy thinking that eventually got him to leave the clan. But if you just yell at each other, that conversation never happens. And when you yell and call each other names and all these different things, people just dig in again. It's the Twitter example. Mm -hmm. Once you put it out there and it's in writing, now you got to back it up no matter right. what, even if your opinion changes. Right. Yeah. And man, that, uh, I'm oh, sorry, Drew. I, was gonna say, I read um, an essay from Ralph Waldo Emerson about self-reliance. And in that, one of the principles he said that keeps people from being able to rely on themselves is they can never, they never feel, they feel like they have to be consistent at all times. It's like you drew several years ago feeling like, oh, well, I like coffee now, but now I got to stick with this. Mm. So people cannot be independent because they feel like they have to stick and double down on ideas that they don't even hold any longer. And then, so consistency and conformity keeps people from being independent. Hmm. And uh, so yeah, what you said made me think about that. That's interesting. It's like, hey, it would be, uh, it would make me look bad if I went back on my word 
It's like, no, it would make you look bad if the only reason that you refuse to change your mind to truth or new evidence would be simply because you said one thing 10 years ago and you don't want to change your mind. Like that's right. what actually makes you look bad. Um, yeah. Uh, well, so something around, hey, not reaching out and hitting other people in the face when they say something you disagree with. Um, I th Just what popped into my head was a scenario that I've run into playing pickup basketball more times <laughs> than I can possibly count, which is some somebody fouls somebody like coming in hot. And in that scenario where you just get absolutely walloped, you have like a half of a second to determine how the rest of this action is going to play out. You can either immediately be like, hey, like, let me diffuse the situation and say, hey, man, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to hit you like that. So, for instance, if you you come in trying to play defense and, and you really you cross a line, you bump somebody too hard. You can either like puff your chest out and be like, what are you going to do about it? Because even though you know you cross the line, you're like, I have to keep up this veneer. Or you can be the guy that's like, hey, that's totally me. Hey, I'm really sorry. I, I didn't mean to get you. I'm sorry I tripped you like that. It's all good. Do you know what that guy's going to do like five minutes from now on the next play? Well, if you've puffed your chest out at him and he's going to get you, he's going to crack you out of nowhere. Or the guy that you're saying, hey, man, I really didn't mean to get you. The next time he bumps you like that, he's going to do the same thing. And you guys are going to be good. Um, it just like there's a way that being genuine and kind can like grease the wheels for building relationships with people, even after you've maybe crossed the line. Um, and I don't know how that really dovetails into that earlier conversation, but like that's the first thing that popped into my head to the point where now as I'm starting to get older and a little bit more frail, when I go play pickup basketball with guys that I don't know before the game even starts, I'm like, Hey man, I like your shoes. How's it going? It's nice to meet you. My name's Drew. Like, please don't take me out on a fast break. I have to go to work tomorrow. Like, let's be friends. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's just crazy that like, um, until people get to see the human side of you, it's very easy just to write somebody off as like a complete stranger, right? Or assume the worst about them. I got a side question out of this. Beautiful point. Beautiful point, Drew. But side question. For folks that don't know, Drew and I literally live like two and a half streets over from each other. Like, do we even live like a block away? It's pretty close. Yeah. How have we never gone and played at the at the pickup basketball at the community center? Literally like half a mile that way. Um, that's a great question. Uh, clearly we're going to have to go make that happen. I started, um, a few different group text chains of trying to get guys together to go play. And that is especially in a time where like not a lot of other things are going on. Like even just saying like, Hey, do you want to go shoot hoops outside? Like that has been yeah, a at Glencliff high school. They got a, they got basketball courts outside. Yeah. It's great. I'm just, I'm just saying. Last time I went and played pickup, we lost, but I had 15 and eight. So I got mine. Like, well, good. it's nice because it's a very low barrier to entry because everybody is rusty. So you can just mm. be like, oh, I normally make those. I just been in my house, you know? Like, <laughs> oh, so what's, uh, so here's a good question. 2020 has been a year of new evidence, right? Mm. New evidence, new information. What's some new evidence you've been exposed to this year that's genuinely had to change the way you've thought about something for a long time? James, that's you. I don't know about that one. Yeah, obviously, go ahead and pop that one off. Here's your question. <laughs> oh, man. 
Um, new evidence that I've been exposed to. Uh, the thing is that I asked you guys that question and at the same time. I was thinking, I was like, shoot, what, are, what am I going to say? Uh, well, I mean, the, the answer I gave earlier about dogs, that, that's, I mean, I know that sounds silly, but that genuinely has impacted my life uh, in a, in a very, very direct way. Um, something that really pissed me off, I would say for a white male in America, just due to my background and James, feel free to correct me at any moment in time on, on this thought of mine, but I feel like I've had a decent grasp on the black experience in America just due to the fact of being exposed to black people my entire life, due to the fact of living with black people my entire life. I've been the only white kid in the all black school. My first experiences with Americans were black Americans in Memphis. So I learned how to speak English from, so I know what Merck is. Um, <laughs> so, but I remember when the entire George Floyd thing happened and I've tried to explain to people over the years, like, yo, like police brutality is real guys. Like this is not a joke. Um, but the way the government of Minnesota and Minneapolis responded in particular pissed me off so much because in my opinion, a lot of harm, a lot of damage, both physical in the sense of property and also societal in the sense of, um, certain groups rioting and doing things that they're not supposed to that actually hurt the black cause in America and a lot of them not being black doing that uh, using it as an excuse to pursue certain agendas all of that could have been avoided if the city of Minneapolis had just arrested the police officers immediately instead of having an army of them protecting the guy at his house during the protests and all those things and at that moment, it just, I, I don't remember, I don't know if you remember our text conversation at the time, but I just, James, but because I know you and I talked a lot about it while it was going on, but I just remember being like, why is it so important for you to protect this guy? I understand people are like, well, you can't arrest somebody. I'm like, dude, there's a, there's a video. Okay. I, I would go sit, I would go get sent to jail if I robbed a bodega. <laughs> like what are you what are you talking about you can definitely arrest this guy you might not charge him yet but you shoot say it's for protection or whatever it may be and and at that moment it just angered me so much because i was like you could avoid so many of these issues if you just weren't so damn stubborn about whatever your agenda is um and that really just kind of disappointed me in humanity sorry i took that down a dark route a little bit yeah that's deep that's deep um yeah it made my mind spiral right now drew you want to hop on that well just thinking about what are the things that you're forced to confront or deal with um new evidence i think that to me there's probably um an evidence that like my own personal life is not as important as I think it is. And I was maybe forced to be confronted with that when um, the things that I personally really care about individually, I don't have a chance to participate in or 
the it's very easy to get like an ego driven i'm posting my own life to the internet or stuff like that and i don't think anybody in 2020 like really missed a lot of posts from me or were really disappointed with that in any way um just trying to wrap your head around the perspective of your own life and new evidence of that, that there are other plenty of other things and other people that are a lot more important than me, putting myself like in a different perspective as part of maybe an individual in a collective community uh, that me as an individual isn't so important, but also like the importance of um, being an active member in the community that you're uh, involved with. And so mm -hmm. what I mean by that is Nashville this year had a lot of crazy stuff happen in it, culminating most recently in the explosion that just happened downtown with the bomb. Um, but at the beginning of this year, we had the tornado that came through. Yeah. Um, and seeing the influence that that had on a lot of so many people, um, people whose either lives were lost or their homes were lost or their businesses were damaged or just they were scared and shaken up. Um, I had never necessarily lived in a place where something like that happened. Um, and so being a part of the community to like say, hey, we can go help clear debris from other people uh, and their houses. And like, that's kind of our job. Like, it's not uh, okay for you to just say like somebody else is going to handle that. Like, this is the place that you live. Like, you need to go pitch in and handle that. And um, maybe just redefining in my understanding of what it means to be a citizen or a participant in a local community um, and thinking less about yourself and being more collectively oriented. That would probably be the off-the-cuff answer of new evidence or things like that that I learned, just new experiences that I, prior to this year, hadn't been familiar with. I will say Nashville is probably the coolest place I've ever lived when it comes to the whole, the community coming together after some sort of tragic event and really coming together. It's impressive. James, you better have an answer by now. Okay. Well, I think I'm not sure if this directly answers the question, but these are the things that come to mind as I think about answering that question. I would say that this year, I don't know what particular piece of evidence I found that made me change my views on it, but I feel like in the past, I've been more of a passive person when it comes to political things. And this year really challenged me to want to really question, what do I really believe and how should I be participating in the political space? Mm. Um, because these conversations really came to a head to kind of hop on what both of you guys were saying with George Floyd and then just being active in your community. Because a lot of tragic events, tragic events happened this year outside of the social justice th uh, related issues and the pandemic. Um, so I just wanted to be a viable member in the community to be able to have these conversations that can push change forward. It really made me think about as a black man, the issues that the black people struggle with politically and as me and you talk about all the time, you obviously how the black community always tends to lean democratic. Mm -hmm. And it really made me question that so much, like going back, doing history lessons on that, like why do black people always vote democratic when black people are very conservative in general, 
Um, but yet, conservatives don't really um, identify with the social justice um, movement. And that's, that's really, we talked about this the other day, that's really where uh, Black people at large and conservatives differ is that Black people are willing to compromise their entire agenda politically in order to achieve justice for the community, the Black community, whereas mm -hmm. conservatives in general will not sacrifice or compromise any of their agenda to back um, the social justice or to back um, the Black black community's agenda of pushing forward and achieving social justice. Um, so it really made me question those things on, on those political things in that arena. And also just in general, like, what do I really believe instead of just accepting again, going back to being an independent thinker, instead of accepting an agenda and just playing ball because, Oh, well, I like this or that, like just finding the nuances in all the different political um, platforms and, agendas and all that jazz hmm. yeah it's it's interesting in the sense that i think about it a lot like within the context of this podcast when i'm obviously since we're recording in it i really hope to just piss off liberals and conservatives every episode because that to me is a barometer of a good conversation i agree 100 percent. you mean both not excluding one or the other no, correct. Yeah, yeah, both. Yeah. I think that's the only way to have true discourse is for both sides to be angry about something because that means we're making everybody uncomfortable and discomfort is when growth happens. Right. And it's part of the beauty of being independent in, in this sense that I don't answer to anybody. I can have whatever guests I want on. Um, I'm pretty aware of the political leanings typically of the people that I have on. Um, I try to push back on things, even if I don't necessarily even believe something that somebody that I'm pushing back on, because I just want to, I want the person to expand more on what they're talking about. Um, and I'm also willing to have my mind changed. I, I, I had that conversation. I had that conversation with the, with one of the podcasts I recorded a couple of weeks ago, um, where, you know, we were talking about the electoral college and I said, I disagree, change my mind. And I didn't say it like in a confrontational way. I was just like, hey, I'm not in that camp. Explain to me why I'm wrong. I'm, I want to hear it so that I can analyze it and see, oh, am I wrong? Mm. I'm okay with being wrong. I'm not okay with being wrong for the wrong reason, but I'm okay with being wrong because maybe a certain piece of information wasn't presented me, to me the same way. Um, and, and again, that kind of goes back to the whole independent thinker thing now. But also I understand that I have my biases. Okay. I understand that um, there are certain things where I'm going to lean one way or another, like, like, like politics. Let's, let's talk about politics for a second, which that, that conversation always ended up well. James and I were talking about this the other day. If there was any country on earth, Russia, Ukraine, China, Syria, whatever, Argentina, Brazil, if we had politicians who've been in office since their 30s um, and have been making a middle class, maybe upper middle class salary from being in parliament or Congress and in their 80s are somehow worth tens of millions of dollars, we'd call that corruption, right? Any other country on earth, we call that corruption. 
in America, we elect that person to become president. I have a very negative opinion of these people. I have a very negative opinion of Joe Biden. I have a very negative opinion of Donald Trump. I have an incredibly negative opinion of Hillary Clinton. So I know when I talk about these people, I'm coming in with a negative bias. I am not giving them the benefit of the doubt. Like I am not giving Joe Biden the benefit of the doubt. You've had 50 years to fix crap and you haven't done anything. Why on earth should I give you the benefit of the doubt? So I understand when I'm bringing these topics into conversation like now, I'm, I'm not giving them a fair shake and I'm not giving anybody who's defending them a fair shake. I'll hear what you have to say, but I understand that that's a bias of mine, that I have a very negative opinion of these career politicians. And I think they're crooks. Um, I think the thing where it's different on this podcast is I just admitted that. Go get Don Lemon to admit that Joe Biden's a crook. It won't happen. Never. It won't happen. And that was a big reason why I was so passive politically in the past, because I just viewed them all as crooks. I see almost no difference in it. Uh, and I still, to a degree, don't. Uh, but I still don't. Th- I still think it's our personal responsibility to be informed and to be able to make decisions politically. Hmm. So that's why I've changed my stance on being active versus passive. Yeah, well, the, the importance of local government was probably really emphasized this year. Because so much of the COVID guidelines have been left up to individual counties or municipalities and cities. Like your local government has had a much bigger impact on your life in 2020 than it has maybe in the last five years combined. Because like they they're the ones setting a lot of these policies of hey restaurants can open no they can't you know things like that even at the state level and seeing that has opened my eyes because I've, I've maybe slanted in the past to being a lot more informed about what's going on at the national level and mm-hmm. less about the local level of like, I don't really care who my county clerk is, you know, like no big deal, but understanding that like, that's super important as well to get probably the most direct influence from those people. Um, affecting change in the community in which you live. Now, let me ask you this. Have they had more influence because of COVID or are you just realizing how much influence they have? There's a possibility it's both um, or it's entirely in my head and they've always had this level of influence and I'm just now more aware of it due to the circumstances. Yeah, most definitely. I definitely was tilted the other way as well because you think national bigger, bigger impact on me personally. But yeah, it's definitely not the case. I mean, the, the governor on down to the mayor, the county clerk, all those those offices held so much power in regulating our lives for the past year. Uh, I mean, we've been on lockdown. We haven't been able to go out to eat and do these different things because of these people making those decisions. Yep. And those circumstances really brought light to it. Whereas before, they probably did hold the same amount of power, but what circumstances would have brought light to the situation and allowed us to see that not really any, you know, which then again, now we get the question of how do we hold these people accountable because of the small tyrants that are coming up? You yeah. know, the, well, I think that's real like voting and understanding, Hey, there, you know, we're going to vote you out if we don't agree with you and actually being in tune to that and following what they're doing and then being willing to remember that come election day. 
But I'm going to I'm going to push back on that statement because we just had an election and how passionate were people about Donald Trump versus Joe Biden versus how passionate were they? I don't know here locally in Tennessee. Who was your local state rep that you voted for? Like, where were the Twitter battles on that? And I agree that that may be the solution, but I don't think people actually acted on that. I agree. Um, so there's a I took a class in college. Um in economics and it talked about the tragedy of the commons which Mm -hmm. is this basic principle that if something belongs to everybody then it actually belongs to nobody um Mm. you know if there's this land that's a park land and everybody can have access to it and everybody just kind of assumes that the next guy behind them is going to clean it up but they don't have any personal responsibility to do it then you follow that to its logical conclusion and like it just becomes a dumpster and nobody actually takes responsibility for it. And I think that like politics can easily be one of those things where it's, I'm one person. What does my vote matter? You know, everybody else is, are going to be the ones to affect change or even just saying like, Hey, I'm sure everybody else, you know, will raise awareness and, has been paying attention to what's been going on at our local level and they'll vote somebody out, but I don't, you kind of absolve yourself of that responsibility. Um, but I think taking like personal ownership over some of that stuff is critical. Um, I think about that principle a lot. Um, and you even see that like here locally, I think about bird scooters, those little electronic (laughs) scooters that are everywhere. Like people just leave those things in the gutter. Like they just leave them in the street and then in the trash because everyone's like, cool. Yeah, somebody else will deal with it. You know, no big deal. Like, I'll just throw this down on the ground. And I'm like, it just it drives me nuts. Mm. James, you look like you're marinating. Yeah, I'm thinking about it because some of the things he was saying um, reminded me of some of the principles in The Republic by Plato. Mm -hmm. And just how... The problem with the democracy is that the people, you're just leaving these big decisions to people who are not competent about political issues and making decisions about civic issues in general. And that's how we got to the point where we have a republic here and we have, mm-hmm. we're have we governed by the few. But now the issue is we can't even trust those few. And so we're in this huge conundrum. Like, so we want as the people, the common man, we want, we want responsibility, but the majority of us don't want that responsibility. And so then that responsibility is given to those few who are corrupt, corrupt, as you talked about, Yavisa. And so we're just in this huge conundrum with it all. And where do we go from here with that? Part of the problem is the type of person who wants to be in that position is somewhat of a psychopath. True especially at a young age. Come on, man. You're in your 20s and you want to be a senator? But would you say, because we're talking about American politics, are you saying that prof- that psychological profile is for American politicians or would you say politicians abroad as well? Politicians abroad as well. The type of person is attracted to that kind of power. Yeah. It's typically a little off, off the rocker. Wasn't now, that like to go to Harry Potter? Wasn't that what made Dumbledore so awesome? Like the fact that he didn't want it. He was like, I can't do it. If you make me minister straight up, like I'm going to go corrupt. I can't do it. I'm just going to stick to being a headmaster. 
And like that was the exact reason why he would have been a boss is because he was like he was self-aware of his own flaws or pride or drive, you know, um, well, just to really go the, deep into analysis of Harry Potter there. But but that's that that's the thing about an elder statesman or statewoman who is essentially forced into public service, like the people who don't want to do it. Right. Um, we just lost Drew, I think. Oh, there we go. Nope, yeah. you're back. Okay, sorry, we lost you for a second, but now you're back. The elder statesman who, who's essentially forced into politics is um, there's a powerful thing to it, like where they don't need money, where they don't need power. They they're self aware and and smart enough and old enough and wise enough to where they've been kicked in the face over and over again to come in and you know try to do something great. Um, I think that's where the advantage is of of that. Of that gray hair, essentially. Um, but yeah, whenever I meet like a 26-year-old who's like all gung-ho about politics and getting into like being a state rep, I'm like, I don't trust you as far as I can throw you. Um, you you're a little cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Go do something else, something beneficial for society. What what possible wisdom can you bring to the table at 26 yeah, go live that other life. people cannot? Right? What you said, James? Go live some life. Yeah, go live some life. Go live some life. Um, yeah, I have a, a, a yeah. It, it's uh, because you're also more susceptible to the corruption. You know, if you come in the Senate being worth $10 million or $5 million, going from $10 million to $12 million, not that appealing, right? I mean, it's like, whatever. Like, I can go do that doing a couple of other things. Or 600000 or whatever. You, you've already come to terms with where you are in life. Mm. You're 30 with a wife and kids and aspirations. And next thing you know, these people start knocking on your door. They're like, hey, we'll pay you 150 for a plate at this dinner. But, you know, we got to have so-and-so sit next to you so he can pitch something to you, et cetera, et cetera. And now you compound that over and over again. You're in a really blue or really red district, so you never really have any competition. So you just keep getting elected over and over again without any real pushback. So you never are even forced to self-evaluate yourself, your beliefs. Anything you just keep having this feedback loop over and over and over and over again. Oh, and you're making money. Oh, and you you know you start skirting the like skirting the rules, trying to push certain things through. Put your friends in power because they're money hungry and power hungry. Whereas when you're 55 and you're a retired surgeon or a principal or whatever, and you've made some money and you've got some things set aside, and your friends are already stable, and you you've got some people who are going to ground you and kick you in the face and tell you, hey, you're being a douche. That's a different worldview. Those are really good people to seek out and to have in your life are people who can give you objective opinions and need nothing from you. I've seen yes. that through the lens of um, just being in the financial advising and planning space. The old guys who have giant books of business and are set and they're not, they don't need anything. Like they be yep. a prospect and a, somebody who's like, hey, I might need some help. And they can give the most objective advice because they're like, whether or not we ever work together, here's what I believe, here's what you should do. And like, if you don't want to do any of that, I'm losing zero sleep because it doesn't impact me in any way. And that there may be some inherent conflict of interest if whether or not you do what I ask you to do is going to materially affect my bottom line. Right. And so like having, I've just, I've just been trying to view that parallel of 
who are those people, whether it's um, mentors or, or friendships or people that you can ask to help you solve hard problems, people who don't need to get something out of it and are like, hey, I'm objectively set, whether it's like I've got a really good thing already in different areas of my life like that, there's some real inherent strength there where they can afford to be really objective because they're not, they don't need anything directly. Mm-hmm. Those are some important That's people good. to have around you. Yeah, you got to like, seek out those mentors if nothing else. Yeah, far too many of us don't have enough of those people around us because people are always biased or can be bought and sold one way or another around us. And so we can't really get objective feedback one way or the other. So those are valuable people. Man, this podcast got went down some some roller coasters. Yeah, I got a question for you guys. Who is one? Who is one person that you met this year who... Maybe you didn't have a pre-existing relationship with, or maybe you knew them, but only at a surface level that you got to know that had a big impact on you this year. Hmm. I haven't really met that many people this year. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, I'm trying to think. I'm thinking as well. I, I'm trying to think of who I've met this year. I'm serious. <laughs> like that I've spent a lot of time with. Yeah. I haven't I, I don't, I'm, I'm going to have to think on that. Yeah. I what about you, Drew? Yeah, I, I think about that just because um, over the past, and I think we may have talked about this the last time I was on here, um, over the past several years, I've just kind of collected a list of people that you meet um, who teach you an interesting lesson or who have some influence on you over a prolonged period of time or even just in passing. Um, and was reviewing that list, kind of getting ready for this podcast of, hey, what, like what books did I read? Um who are those people that I've met this year? Um, and there will probably be two guys that stick out. One is somebody I met just through the um, introduction of a few key friends. And he's like a guy who's in his early thirties and has like five kids. And the guy is so dialed in to pretty much every different area of his life and has taught me a lot about balance um, of, hey, this is how I'm super focused on being a really good husband. And here's how I'm super focused on being a really good dad and spending time individually with each one of my kids. And here's how I'm like, he's a vice president at a company and is successful in his career and plays basketball with me and is like crushing it. And he's kind of an older guy on this basketball team, but is like deadly from three. And so he's just like very well balanced and that's somebody who I met this year and was like, I don't know what it is about what you got going on, but I like I need to learn it. I need to learn how you're balancing all these different areas of your life and seemingly doing really well at all of those. Uh, and I think it just comes from having total clarity of what's important and what's not, and then being very intentional to have the power to say no to virtually like any other thing in your life. If it's not one of these key things, just say no, because mm-hmm. you, if you've got a bunch of things going on or even a few key things that are important. It's like, I don't have space for anything else 
if it's not as important as these things, I have to emphasize these. And so learning that lesson now, like at 27, I'm really grateful to have had that example and influence because uh, as we start to grow our family or just as you get busier, um, that's a really valuable person to lean on and example to learn from. Mm, that's powerful. Um, like I said, I, I haven't met a lot of people this year and I haven't spent a lot of time with people that I haven't met known before this year, but I have paid attention and learned something new to pay attention to. Um, I've been paying attention to people who are in authentically themselves at all times. Mm. And like to your point about the guy you met who are strong enough in themselves to say no about whatever they need to. So they don't compromise their values at any point, even on small things. So I've been paying attention to that in the people that I know who I'm the closest to, to see when I view them as being the most authentic. And I've especially been paying attention to that within myself because you know, they have sometimes you just wake up at three in the morning, you replay events from your life or just small, insignificant conversations. And you think back like, why did I say that? How did I get myself into this? And I've been thinking about that a lot. Um, and I feel like those small conversations at times end up getting me into endeavors that I didn't need to be in. And they distract me from what I'm really serious about. So I really want to uh, be authentic in every conversation I'm in and make sure that myself, I'm representing who I really am at every moment and saying what's really on my heart at every moment instead of, you know, looking for the connection. I'm always looking to make connections with people I don't know. And so sometimes that means like really stretching myself and who I am and trying to meet where they are so that we can make a connection. And then from that point, we can have a relationship if we're going to have a relationship at all. But I realized that when I do that, I sacrifice a lot of my uniqueness and who I really am. And so I want to be able to find that balance between the two while I'm authentic, but still seeking to make connections with people. So that's been a really big thing that I've learned this year. So really just getting to know myself better on a lot of levels and getting to know other people better and to read their personalities better. You got me all paranoid now. I'm over here thinking like, crap, am I authentic around James at all times? <laughs> hey, I I'm going to let you know. That is true. That You are that kind of friend. You're going to call me out on my crap. That's why I keep you around. Those people are so refreshing, though. Like you meet somebody who's just consistent and they're consistently themselves across the mm -hmm. board. Um, those people are like, that is rare. And it's, um, I think it's a choice to be that way. Like, I don't, I don't know that you get that way on accident. I think you have to seek that out, but something to continually aspire to be and try and refine that in yourself just to say like, I'm going to be the exact same person to my barista as I am to someone who I think could potentially be a meaningful business connection to me, to someone who thinks differently than me, to someone who is somebody I've known my entire life. Like how do you, how did they all get to experience the same you? And granted, like the, the nature and scope of your relationship are going to be different, but like, right, do you right. walk into those conversations inherently different or are you consistent? And so I think that there's, uh, you're being authentically yourself and there's an element of consistency of that. And that only probably comes from like knowing who you are and knowing mm -hmm. your core values and being comfortable enough 
from having done enough deep personal work to say like, yes, this is why I believe what I believe and this is who I choose to be, that then when no matter the fluctuating environments that you're in, like you're steady and you have that foundation. Because if you haven't done that deep work to figure out who do I want to be and what do I believe, you're just going to conform and flow to whatever environment that you're in. And then we like that's very obvious, too, when you see people who are inconsistent um, across different social circles. And you're like, oh, you weren't acting that way when this guy was right here. But the second he leaves, you're going to talk about him and joke about him. They're like, that's inconsistent. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, there's I think it, it's hard to get that way. I don't know that you're just like naturally going to be that way, but it's so important and can be really meaningful because you know it when you see it. Right. Right. And I think going back to what you said, it's really about knowing yourself inside and out, because I realized that for myself, being a young man, there are so many things that I do not have opinions on. And it's fine to not have an opinion on something. But when you don't have an opinion on something, just don't even speak about it. Instead of thinking about information or knowledge you have about something, but you don't even necessarily identify or attach yourself to that. And so now it's, it's challenged me to have opinions on things that I actually really care about. But when I don't have an opinion, there's no point in speaking about it. Mm. I want, I want y'all's opinion on something. So pretty much at this stage, almost every guest that I have on the podcast, they've reached out to me. So when I first started the podcast, I was basically just cold calling people being like, Hey, you want to come on the show that nobody's ever heard of? And at this stage, there's, I mean, I don't know. I think right now, it's like maybe 15, 16 people who are trying to get on that I'm trying to schedule on there. And it's pretty much all, like I said, people have reached out to me, our marketing team or whatever. And I always try to have a phone call before we record at this point. I cannot tell you guys how many conversations I've started with these individuals where that phone call begins one way. And then after they give me their pitch, I tell them to cut the crap, essentially. I'm like, hey, stop. I'll let you plug your book. Don't worry about it. Here's what the mission of the podcast is. And here's the impact that we're trying to have. How do you feel about that? And their entire demeanor and conversation changes. And it's instantly more fun. It's been so interesting to observe. Where I've had tons of people tell me, oh, yeah, like, I mean, I can talk about this subject that I'm writing on. But like, I'd much rather tell you about like, like how not to screw up as a dad. Hmm. And it's really gotten me to think like, why is that so exciting and why is that conversation so missing? Because they're obviously excited to talk about it because they don't get to talk about it very often and they feel like it's important. Which kind of leads into what you guys have been talking about is that authenticity piece. Mm -hmm. That you've got a script and you've got these questions and these answers and this publishing kit that was put together for you and the marketing and the yada yada. And I'm over here like, no, 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 stop. I'll let you plug your book. Don't worry. But let's talk about how you spent too much time at work and ignored your kid's fifth birthday. What's going to be more effective as marketing and branding anyways? Someone who's actually authentically themselves or someone who's just a surface level brand? You know, Mm -hmm. like um, I think about that. That was like one of the most attractive things to me about my wife when I met her is that she was just like so honest and raw. Mm that I was like, now you regret that so much. Well, (laughs) no, I was like, man, I tried to be so smooth when I met her. I was like, Hey girl, how you doing? Like Joey from friends. Like I, I was trying to 
be a certain way to get her to like me. And she was not having any of it. And she let me know from the jump. She was like, no, thank you. Not interested. And only when I was like, okay, six months later, hey, like straight up, like I I really would like to get to know you. Then she was like, yeah, take me to breakfast, you know, but like there was no um, tolerance for that sort of thing. And I think giving people permission to be vulnerable with you starts by you probably being vulnerable with them and giving people permission to be authentic probably starts by you being really authentic with them because they may have an expectation of what you're thinking when they come on the show and they're like, Oh, he's probably going to want me to act in a certain way and to be very polished and talk about only these specific things and like give these kind of curated answers. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like I want to hear the real stuff. And so I'm going to be real with you. And once you see that kind of like, wait, are so, so for real, like I can drop that fake level of perception or just the surface level. Like I can really be myself around you and to your audience. Then that's, and that's what people actually latch onto because they can relate to that. That's imminently more relatable. Otherwise the, the, the only depth of connection that someone's going to have with that is like that same level of surface level. Oh man, like that's cool. Like I, mm, yeah. I, I think I'm supposed to like this, or I think this is supposed to be cool. You know, like how many workout bros actually like being workout bros versus just think that they're supposed to be workout bros. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I think that's a lot that we've all bought that we have to look a certain way or act a certain way in order to be successful. Um, And like you said, Drew, when people are authentic, they're automatically that much more attractive. Like you're just like, okay, now I can be myself because they're being their selves. Mm-hmm. But we just always fall to the default. We, I mean, because at the end of the day, audience does matter when you're talking to people. You have to know that your message is going to land and be delivered effectively. But you can do that best being yourself. But in, when you think in terms of the audience first instead of who you are first, you go down this trail and you're you're nobody you're just another face a nameless face instead of being yourself isn't that so Mm -hmm. counterintuitive because you think that what they want to hear is like this certain thing and that that's what's going to make you memorable to them is just being super polished or i don't know like kind of eliminating all of the unique things about you and like buffing all those out to just be this squeaky clean image or presentation when it's like, no, being the actual organic you, um, there's a guy named Chris Saka, who is like a angel investor. And he was on the Tim Ferriss show and talked about that where he didn't know what to wear to all these venture capital pitch meetings. And like one day he stumbled across like this crazy looking cowboy shirt. And he was like, I just organically like this shirt. So I'm just going to wear this and wore that to the meeting. And it wasn't necessarily even a way of him like trying to stunt. He was just being, this is my shirt. Like I like this shirt. And he walked in and that right there like differentiated him. And now it's like kind of become his own thing. And he wears a lot of different ones, but um, just being willing to be yourself and how that can be really attractive to people and differentiate yourself because what's going to stand out more someone who's like comfortable with themselves and like straight up. Yeah. I saw the shirt. I thought it was great. And like, I'm okay if I wear this to a meeting with you to talk about business and I'm not like 
in a suit and tie and that's okay you know so learning how to navigate some of those things is important interpersonally and professionally and in a lot of those ways and i would be curious looping back to what you were talking about earlier yavitsa on linkedin um mm -hmm. how everybody's kind of on their best behavior and polished have you noticed that people who gain the most traction or people who cut through a lot of that noise even then are still the ones who are the most organically themselves and are producing actual good content rather than just kind of the promotional like i saw a candidate and he was he had a gap in his resume and i hired him anyway and it was the best hire ever i'm like that is just virtue signaling like garbage yep. i don't even think any of those stories are true like those are those are just awful. But the people who are like, hey, I'm going to come up with fresh content and ideas and like talk about these things, those are the people who actually gain a following. Yeah, I would say that um, that the ones who are being authentic are the ones getting the most traction. But to my original point on LinkedIn, how everybody's on their best behavior, I believe that is being authentic. What I meant with LinkedIn was the virtue signaling and the constant attacks and the screaming of social media is not real life. That's not authentic. You don't walk around on the streets and cuss people out because they don't fit a certain mold. If you do, that's how you get killed. Okay. Especially down here in the South where folks are packing. Okay. <laughs> like That's how you get murdered. Um, so, so, the authentic aspect is because there's a social repercussion to your behavior. I think that's where it shines. Instagram ain't authentic. You face tuning ain't authentic. If face tuning still a thing, you, you, you know, all these things, you renting a, a private plane or a stage set of a private plane and taking pictures in it is not authentic, but you talking about, you know, real things in real life. Yeah, that's authentic. I, I think those are the people who shine through. And like you said, you need to be authentic on your own to get the get the most authenticity out of people. And I think that's something that's shined through in this podcast with, with examples of people reaching out to me is like, I don't need, like my family will not go hungry if you don't come on my show. I promise you, none of my wife's shopping habits are going to change whatsoever. <laughs> okay, James is laughing because he knows, but none of them are going to change. Um, no aspect of my life would be different besides the fact that I'll think, oh, crap, I need to, you know, fill this slot with somebody else. So I, I don't need to pander to you. And quite frankly, I don't want you pandering to me. I want us to have a conversation because I want to create good content for the people listening. That's what's helped this podcast grow the, in the organic way that it's grown. In my opinion, at least that's the feedback I've gotten. Um, it, it keeps growing every single month. So, so, so I'm doing something right. Um, so, so when I think about what is the what is the goal? What is the objective? How do we get to that real conversation? You know, one of my deal breakers is if you want me to send the questions ahead of time, we're not doing a show. I have two questions ready every show. That's it. And at that moment, you better have given me enough open ended information for my natural curiosity to take hold or we're going to have a really awkward podcast. <laughs> so, um, we are coming up on time. So I do, I do want to wrap this up and I had a specific question for you guys that I'm really curious about. Um, 2021. What's possible in 2021 for yourself? What's possible. 
I'm debating if I should just start rambling until I find the right answer. <laughs> I mean, I can start answering if you guys want. Go ahead. Uh, I'm a long way away from this, but I really think a million downloads is possible for the podcast. I think that would be so cool to hit that milestone. Um, and I think with the new opportunities, capabilities, freedoms, I think that's possible. Uh, I think running a marathon is possible as long as these marathons will start <laughs> existing again. I'm not doing a virtual one. Um, I think there's an income level. I don't need to share that, but I think there's an income level personally that I think is very possible. So th- I think that's what's possible for me. And I, and I'm making my 12 week years right now. So I basically create four goals throughout the year. I don't make annual goals. I just know what I got to do to get to a certain point to four exit. Um, So a million downloads running a marathon. And then we talking full marathon. Yes. I'm talking about a full marathon. Come on. Yeah. Um, And I think a certain income level, um, they'll put me in a certain percentile of the population as possible. So, yeah, for me, I would say in 2021, making the Olympic team is possible. Ooh, um, juicy. Really getting my business off the ground is possible by leveraging social media channels and all that. Um, those are the main two. But also really being able to structure my life is possible. So that's kind of a touchy-feely intangible one mm. right there. But uh, being consistent with structuring, using my planner, and being, instead of just throwing things down to come to mind, knowing myself well enough to know what's actually going to help me attain my goals, direct application, practical things, that's possible. Those are hard to follow up. Those are really good um, from both of you. I think being consistent is possible for me. And what I mean by that is that I am, I took the Enneagram this year and I'm a three, which I don't know if you guys are into that sort of thing or not. Basically it talks about like what drives you. And one of my key motivators and drivers is the like achievement drive. And that that is super important to me. And as I look at answering the question, what's possible my gut reaction is to be like oh show me a million boxes that i can go check off and that like proves my self-worth or goes to what i care about because that's how i've functioned the last several years it's like i want to try and read 20 books and read run four marathons this year and hit this much level like do all these things that i think are just somewhat like carrots that i've somewhat arbitrarily put out there to say like, if I do that, I will be significant. If I do that, I will be happy. If I do that, I will be enough. Um, And I've hit probably 90% of the things that I've shot for, but it has not been a constant plotting thing. It has been a crazy roller coaster of efforts and inconsistency of like, I'm going to work out like crazy for two months and run a race. And then I'm going to completely back off of it. Or I'm going to say I want to read, and so I'm going to read for two weeks straight and do nothing else, and then I'm not going to read, right? And so you end up getting 
the results that you want, but in a process and in a way that is not what I actually want to sustain or that is healthy because it's just a series of like sprint, 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 sprint. And what I think will be the next evolution and what I believe is possible in 2021 is to be consistent at doing the daily things that I need to do to do that. And there may be some days and weeks and months and seasons where you have to sprint a little bit more, but not fully getting off the horse and just being able to make the progress, whether that's towards like going on consistent dates with my wife or prayer or journaling or whatever. These things that I know are important and want to get done and over the course of a year will get done, but doing it in a consistent linear fashion, um, that would be massive. And so I think that's mm. possible. And that, um, that really allows me to be a lot more present and be a lot more focused on the process rather than on the outcomes. And I've been incredibly focused on the outcomes and not on the process, um, kind of really since becoming an adult. Mm. Man, I love that. Um, Honestly, I, the way you articulated that is kind of what my third point I meant that to be because I feel like I've had these arbitrary markers that sound good on paper like, okay, well, I'm going to do my hair journal, my prayer this this many times a week or I'm going to stretch this many times a week or I'm going to do this this many times a week. But how do I know the direct application? Do I know myself well enough to know if this is arbitrary or if this is a good solid marker for me? And is this something that's overly ambitious to where I'm going to be sprinting for two weeks and taking time off? Or is this something that's going to be right in line? And that's what I want to be self-aware enough to be able to put my priorities down, stick to them and see myself grow because I'm putting direct application day in and day out towards it and not backing away from it because this is who I am. And even though I'm developing and changing, this is who I am at the core and these things will continue to develop me down the line well that's one heck of a way to end a podcast i like this little tradition we've got until 2021 right 2021 december 2021 we'll uh we'll do an episode preparing for 2022 uh i do think we should probably listen to our previous year episode before we record the next one i was thinking about this halfway through i was like man it would have been good to know what we talked about a year ago um i'm probably gonna put this out either new year's eve or new year's day it's gonna be episode number 99 coming up on 100 Probably mm. like it's 1999 yeah um and for folks who know who've been listening to the podcast i made a promise when i put out episode one there's a reason there was always three digits in the numbers for the podcast because i i committed on episode one that I was going to get at least to a hundred episodes. Otherwise I wasn't starting the podcast. So I'm glad it didn't turn out to be a hundred episodes of just straight boo-boo trash. Cause that, that was a possibility. I was, I was really thinking about that. I was like, man, if I suck at this or this sucks, that's going to, I'm not going to quit. I already goal of, hey, I got to crank yeah, out. Right? <laughs> <laughs> got to crank out a hundred five minute episodes. Um, but at episode 100, I stopped being an amateur and I can become a professional at this, as uh, as um, Pressfield would say and uh, the war of art. Um, thanks for coming on, guys. I really appreciate you. Appreciate your friendships. Uh, love you guys. Love talking to you guys. Uh, I know the, the folks listening enjoyed it. Manhoodpod.com. Got the new URL finally. Info at manhoodpod.com. 
If you want to holler at us, got some questions, want to whine about something, constructive criticism, whatever. You want to get on the pod, holler at me. I'll listen to what you have to say. Just be genuine. Um, and outside of that, we'll we'll talk to you guys next year. <laughs>